0: Please be ready with your Bible again this evening, this time in Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading from verse 22 through verse 26 in Galatians chapter 5. Starting with this point, what the Apostle Paul spoke and wrote was given to him by the Holy Spirit. We know this because... Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. What the Apostle Paul spoke and wrote and the other inspired men was given to him by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when we read and study what Paul wrote and we become engaged in obedience to God, the Holy Spirit produces good fruit in our lives. So listen to this in Galatians 5, 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The typical approach to this passage, an approach that I have used before, is to go through the text, define the key words from the selected translation or from a variety of translations, the key words, define them, and then say something like, let us stand and sing. Well, I promise that I will get to the stand and sing part. But I'm persuaded we need to do more with this text than just define the words. So here's the framework of the approach I want to use this evening. Think of your life as a garden. And then follow up after you embrace that concept with two questions. What is growing there? And what is the value of that fruit? I will speak briefly to what the words and phrases mean. And I'll rely upon a variety of translations and definitions that are given, but I'm going to do that only to take us as quickly as I can to practical applications of each one. So think of your life as a garden. Ask yourself, what is growing there? And what is the value of that fruit? And I'll move from definition Hopefully, each of us will move from definition to intention and then to practice in our lives. Let me just start with the concept of a garden. Here's a very easy question. It is probably in the list of Bible trivia questions. What is the first garden you read about In the Bible, and the answer is the Garden of Eden in chapter 2 of Genesis. Well, that garden had fruit, but not all the fruit in that garden was good to eat. They had to listen to God about that. God gave Adam and Eve an abundance of nourishing food, but told them there was a tree they were not to eat from. And that very simple law from God that was prohibitive, they violated. And it can be said that since then, there has never been a garden on earth like the Garden of Eden, because sin entered the world, and with sin, the tragic consequences and fallout. But now... Through Jesus Christ, in our response to the teachings of the Holy Spirit, there is a beautiful garden that God is able to be pleased with in the lives of His people. So, I take us back to our primary starting point. Think of your life as a garden and ask yourself, what is growing there and what is the value Of that fruit. Now let's go through and capture some brief definitions, but in each case, let's move quickly from definition to intention and then to application and practice. Love should be growing in your spiritual garden, your life. Let's keep it very simple as to definition active goodwill as displayed and defined by deity. If you are not familiar with any other Greek word, you have probably heard preachers talk about agape. It is active goodwill. It is illustrated by God and illustrated by Christ. God illustrates it in all His generous and merciful activity toward man. Jesus illustrates it in his life and particularly in the giving of his life. So active goodwill as displayed and defined by deity. Now, that's the biblical definition. Love as defined by the world is a very different thing. The world's definition is more centered in emotion and romance than it is goodwill. The world's love is characterized by that which serves the interest of self. In the world, the word love is often used without any reference to God at all. Not connected to God, not connected to what God illustrates, what Christ illustrates, or what the Holy Spirit said. It is a secular, worldly, humanitarian concept of love. The biblical concept is what we need in the garden of our lives. Active goodwill as defined by deity. So if I want to know what attitudes and actions constitute love, I read the Bible. I see in God and in Jesus the kind of goodwill that sets the standard for me. I read what the Holy Spirit has revealed about this Active good will. And I put that in my life every day. In my thoughts. In my attitude toward God. In my feelings about others. In my reactions to others. See, now we're working the application end of it. Even toward my enemies, the Lord said. In my respect for God, in my response to Him, in every dimension and function of all of that, active goodwill. Did you know you can know the truth from the pages of the Bible just as the Holy Spirit gave the words. You can quote book chapter and verse. You can become a walking concordance or Bible encyclopedia. You can be guilty of no serious crimes, have a good reputation, a good career, a respected volunteer in the community, but without love, Paul says you are a noisy gong, are a clanging symbol. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Love needs to be growing in the garden of my life, and it needs to be active and valuable. I need to understand every day that this love, defined in Scripture, is pleasing to God, it is useful for people, and it's spiritually healthy for me. Joy should be growing in the garden of my life. This is the deep inner satisfaction that is a result of relationship with God. Again, there's a contrast here. In the world, there is something called happiness that is not the same as biblical joy. The word happiness is derived from the word happen. Something happens that you like, and it makes you happy. That's something all of us experience, and it's usually something of shallow dimension. The common use of the word happiness in the world has to do with what happens that I like and with the emotion that that event drives. The biblical concept of joy is not event-driven. It is relationship-driven. In obeying the gospel and living your life as a Christian, what you have is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there are various components of joy in that relationship that are multidimensional. The joy of having your sins forgiven. The joy of knowing the truth and being able to apply it in your life. The joy of following the example of Christ. The joy of spreading the gospel, the joy of fellowship with other Christians, the joy of hope even in time of trial and sorrow. It is deep inner satisfaction that is relationship driven, not event driven. I know that we're in a passage that has a very positive and pleasant tone to it, but may I take a moment and warn us that one of the devil's purposes is to take our joy from us. The devil will seek to rob us of our joy, the joy the Spirit enables us to have through the Word. The devil wants to plant seeds of thought in us or... Try to feed the negative, the discouraging, that which leads to grumbling and complaining. The devil wants us to become heartless and careless and joyless and bitter. But by walking in the Spirit through the Word, we defend ourselves against these malicious efforts of the devil to rob us of joy. Along with joy, there's peace that ought to be in the garden of your life and my life. Peace can be defined as the absence of disturbance and the presence of harmony at the deepest level. Now, in your real-time circumstances, there may be disturbing things. Some discord that you observe or some trouble you have to go through. But this biblical peace is an inner peace that transcends and lifts you above the real-time daily junk and difficulty. It is there to remind you that no matter what happens here, God loves you and His promises to His people are solid. Peace, Paul said, rules in your heart. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. So in your spiritual garden and in mine, in your heart and life and in mine, there needs to be love and joy and peace and patience. I'm going to rely on a word the older translations use that we seem to get away from, but it is so expressive to me. Long suffering. That should be growing in your spiritual garden and in mind, Many may not be familiar with this concept, and if you're not familiar with the word or concept of being long-suffering, look at the opposite and let that help you understand it. The opposite is short-tempered. And I, you're, you're familiar with me saying it this way, the word short-tempered and long-suffering. When you're short-tempered, you blow up at the least provocation. And you may refer to this as having a short fuse. And that means it doesn't take long from the time you light the fire until the explosion. We know what it means to be short-tempered. Indeed, one of the works of the flesh identified in the text is fits of anger. But this is long-suffering, patience, forbearance. Vines in his Dictionary of New Testament words, to bear with, literally to be long-tempered. There you go. Short-tempered and long-tempered. And Vines continues, self-restraint in the face of provocation. Now, these definitions are helpful. But what really helps us get a clear view of patience and being long-suffering Is to look at the supreme example. And that would be God. Especially as you read through the history of the Old Testament. God's dealings with people then. And you recall that God warned. And he waited. And he warned again. And God said to the people through the prophets. You need to change or else. And God did everything to bring about the repentance of sinners. God was illustrating what it means to be long-suffering. And that's how we should be. Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How thankful we should be for the long-suffering disposition of God. And that's the attitude that we need to have, that needs to be growing in our spiritual garden, kindness ought to be there. This is about how we approach people and treat people and react to people. And again, it is true that God is our model. In Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul was writing about salvation, Paul said that God raised us up together with Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 and verse 7. Wouldn't you agree? God treats us very well. That's how we need to treat people. God has responded to us in a marvelous and generous way by the exceeding rich provisions that we have in Christ. The question is, how do we treat people? Do we treat people like God has treated us? What is our response to the needs of people? What kind of simple courtesy... Do we show to people. Treating people right should be present in our spiritual garden. Goodness should be there. In our vocabulary, goodness is a word that is almost generic, but it always takes in pleasant qualities. The word here means the deliberate preference to do good to others. This is not the spirit that thinks, well, I guess I'm going to have to help. This is not some sort of accidental generosity where you're thrown in a situation and you've got to respond. This is the deliberate choice, the deliberate preference to do good to others. It is goodness in the highest, most genuine sense. That should be growing in our spiritual garden. It pleases God, it helps others, and it's good for us faithfulness. Think of trustworthiness. And in some modern translations, that may be the term, trustworthiness, being trustworthy. That's personal fidelity. Sometimes we'll use the word integrity. It is a character trait that ought to be the very center of who we are. We sometimes describe this as integrity or honesty or fidelity, trustworthiness. Ask yourself simply this, as we move now to application. Can people trust me? Can people trust you? Do I tell the truth? Do I keep the promises I make? Can I be relied on to do what I say? Faithfulness. Gentleness. Some translations will have the word meekness. It is the opposite of self-assertive arrogance. We've all known self-assertive arrogance, hopefully not in us, but when we observe others and we can recognize it, we easily identify self-assertive arrogance. Well, turn that around. Submissive, humble willingness to accept guidance to be corrected, to become strong by being led in the right direction. That's what we're talking about here, gentleness. And then self-control. This is the virtue of using divine resources. This is the virtue of using divine resources to master your desires and passions whatever they may be this is the virtue of using divine resources to master your desires and passions to manage your desires so that good is the outcome not sin using divine resources to master your desires in 1 corinthians 9:24 to 27 paul indicated in what might be considered sort of a confessional passage, his need of self-control. And he used an illustration that is vivid. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, "...do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things." They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and bring it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul wanted to live under good control. His purpose was to use every resource from God in Christ to manage his desires. Using divine resources to master and manage your desires and passions. What's growing in your spiritual garden? What appears in your life from day to day? That constitutes a good harvest for God and for others and for your own spiritual health. Beyond definition, go to an intention and then go to practice in every corner of your mind and your thoughts and your conduct and your relationships with God and with people. What's growing in your spiritual garden? How do you value that? in relationships with people, in reactions to situations, in response to trials, in your response to God that is ongoing and to Christ is this passage a list of what your life is about. Listen again, Galatians 5:22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want to make this additional observation. Observe carefully the fruit of the Spirit. This does not mean anything that is passive in nature. So, What I mean is this is not about the Holy Spirit forcing the seed into your heart and just causing this fruit to grow against our lazy resistance. No. This is not anything that is passive. It is intensely active. The activity required is our personal participation going beyond definition and understanding, our personal participation. So I learn how the Bible defines each of these. And then I discover in the Bible that there are many principles and illustrations and prohibitions and injunctions that enable me to put these into my life. And I can grow in my participation in these. You ever put out a garden Gardens are hard work. If you want produce, if you want vegetables, if you want the fruit, do you just pray to God and ask Him to give you the harvest? Oh Lord, give me the harvest. I'll wait. I'll sit here. We know it doesn't work that way. Gardening requires hard work. Spiritual gardening requires hard work. So if you see the value of these things and you want this kind of harvest in your character, you must do the work. Learning, practice, review, commitment, growing, self-examination, self-correction. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What does that word walk say? Activity, mobility. This kind of gardening is about how we live. How we think, what we put into our minds. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Walking is active. So, where do I walk to grow this kind of garden? Right here. Remembering what I said when I started, what Paul wrote was given to him by the Holy Spirit. If your life is not in harmony with the teachings given in the In the scripture, by the Holy Spirit, if you do not read the Bible and study the Bible and engage yourself in obedient response, there will not be in your life the fruit of the Spirit. And in the absence of developing these traits, Satan finds his entrance. Can I say that again? In the absence of our constant development of these traits, Satan Finds His entrance in the absence of these traits of character there cannot be fellowship with God where this fruit is not coming up your relationships with people are likely to come down how does your garden grow those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion so definition, intention, and then daily practice. Let's be standing as we sing.